weekend from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. For a list of upcoming performances, you can log on to aceevents.us or you can call Ace Events at 949-487-9296. Sorry I'm late. It's just like this new schedule's totally confusing. So rather than waste your time this semester, we're going to jump right in with both feet. Uh, what's the product? The 80s Experience. Oh, you left out a bunch of stuff. Like what? You know, the movies, television shows, historical events, and music from the 1980s. Remember that thing we had about 30 years ago? It's The 80s Experience with your host, J.J. Buchanan. I know that, dude. Sunday nights starting at 8 on FM 88.5 KSBR. Welcome to Making Your Memories with Joe D. The Doctor. afternoon and welcome to the weekend from saddleback college it's a whole nother thing with bob goodman on listener supported fm 88.5 ksbr and a very special saturday it is we have a very special in-studio guest from the legendary band love co-founder and lead guitarist johnny eccles is going to join us in about 15 minutes we're going to have conversation and music and if you have any uh, questions you might want to have some answers for uh, my producer S is uh, standing by by email we're not taking phone calls uh, by email and just put love in the subject line and address the uh, emails to ksbrhost at yahoo.com that's real simple isn't it ksbrhost at yahoo.com and we'll see uh, how many we can fit in as long as it doesn't uh, disrupt the flow of today's show we'll get in as many as possible if you live in South Orange County well if you're going out this afternoon we're going to have mostly uh, well mostly clear skies a couple of uh, white puffs out there and the high this afternoon in the low 80s and uh, looking out to tomorrow and the weekend ending more of the same we have overnight lows in the low to mid 50s and looking ahead to monday tuesday and wednesday more of the same highs in the mid 70s to low 80s depending upon where you are and overnight lows in the 50s right now outside our studios high atop the campus of saddleback college it's 81 degrees Well, I thought I'd get us in the mood this afternoon and start things off and take us in the uh, way back machine to what it felt like back in 
of nothing new You went out on me So other girls did it too
Saddleback College, it's a whole nother thing with Bob Goodman on listener-supported FM 88.5 KSBR. You may have recognized most of those tunes, thought we'd get in the mood, go back to 65 and 66. That, of course, the uh, version of of Love's version of Hey Joe. It's been covered by many, but none better than that. And there's a a whole story that we'll talk to Johnny about. My special guest in the studio is Mr. Johnny Eccles, the co-founder and lead guitarist of Love. Welcome. What is happening? And how have you been? I've been fantastic. Thank you. And welcome to a whole nother thing. It's such an honor to have you uh, sitting here. I mean, this music has been such an important part of my life and most of my listeners. It's, uh, you know, part of the soundtrack. And you had such a indelible impression uh, in, in such a short period of time from 1966 and, uh, till 1968. And we'll uh, go into quite a bit of that. And right before... You know, Love was not your typical garage band, from what I understand. I mean, all you guys, even at a young age of uh, probably 20 or so, were, uh, you know, well-versed well, uh, musicians. Actually, about 15, we were starting to do recording sessions for Delphi Records and with Glenn Campbell. And um, we also played with Phil Spector a lot back then. So Wow. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and... Uh, uh, Ken Forsey, the bass, the original bass player, uh, played on Wipeout. Right, he was with the Safaris. Right, so you guys uh, had your hands into everything, yeah. and and you and Arthur, uh, you grew up together. Well, you grew up together in Memphis. Your families were close, and then 
Arthur moved, and then you guys moved, and you ended up being uh, almost neighbors again, I guess. Yeah, we were two doors down from each other. It just was happenstance. We didn't plan it that way. We just wound up uh, <laughs> living next door to Kismet, each other. Yeah, right? right? Kismet. Kismet. Yeah. yeah, well, that's good because you guys uh, and you lifelong friends. For those of you uh, that aren't uh, intimate with the story of love and Arthur Lee, uh, Arthur Lee uh, passed away on this date in 2006 and uh it occurred to me looking at the calendar i've been such a big love fan that uh it falls on a saturday and uh having uh friended uh johnny on facebook and johnny's very much into uh social networking and uh which is great it's it's a great thing for uh for musicians to get back in touch with their fan base and uh john i just sent out uh, a personal message and said, "Hey man, it's uh, author's passing. You guys were lifelong friends. Uh, uh, I'd love to do a special on love again. And uh, would you be kind enough uh, to join me in the studio? And uh, you were so gracious to, to make that trek on a Saturday afternoon, man. That's uh, that's like a three hour deal. Yeah, it's my pleasure, and I thank you so much for helping to keep the memory and and the music alive. So. Oh yeah, it's uh, it, it's very special." And speaking about uh, your earlier recordings, I've got one queued up. It's uh, one called Lucy Baines. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, that was about um, President Johnson, well, Vice President then, but President Johnson's daughter, Lucy Baines Johnson. And um, we thought it would really be neat to do a record about her. And um, we were coming home from, we played with Henry Vestine, who was in the canty. Oh, yeah, sure. We were friends, so we were playing a gig with them. And um, we come home, and Arthur's mother's in a dither. What's wrong? It just, the Secret Service had been by her house <laughs> to talk to her about us because they thought we had done a vulgar song about the president's daughter. So. <laughs> I can't imagine that happening today, huh? And this is Grammy material. I don't understand why they thought it was vulgar. (laughs) Well, well, let's listen to it. You look so juicy when you do the one, two, (laughs) see. Let's listen to Lucy Baines by The American Four, wasn't it? Yeah. Okay. On a whole other thing with Bob Goodman. Cause she looks so good She can do the dog Cause she knows her stuff I call 
Saddleback College, it's a whole nother thing with Bob Goodman on listener-supported FM 88.5 KSBR. If you're just tuning in, our special in-studio guest this week is none other than Johnny Eccles, co-founder and lead guitarist of the legendary band Love. And that from a recording by, under the name, uh, The American Four, prior to uh, to uh, forming Love, correct? Yeah. yeah. And uh, kind of has that... Hey, uh, hang on, Sloopy. Uh, twist and twist shout. Twist and yeah. shout, right? I I had this image of, uh, I guess from Animal House, I think it was, where they're in a uh, they're in a bar and uh, in uh, in the fraternity guys are in a bar, in uh, uh, I guess uh, uh, what you would call back then uh, uh, ethnic area, yeah. and. Yeah. Uh, and the band was playing, and it was uh, kind of like a Curtis Knight type of right, group. Right, yeah. They were playing Shout, as I recall. Curtis Day in the Night yeah, or something, yeah. right? And uh, and they were sitting there, and, and that whole feel, that whole feel of uh, of that kind of music. Just uh, <laughs> hang on, Sloopy, and uh, twist and shout. This is a whole other thing with Bob Goodman. Uh, and now... The music of the times, you know, you had the birds, uh, and we listened to the birds and, and the turtles, and these all these groups. I grew up in New York City, so I missed that whole scene on the Sunset Strip, and uh, you guys were the uh, the house band at a club called Beto Lido. Right, yeah. And uh, I've, I've heard stories about that club, and uh, as a matter of fact, Jack Holtzman described it as uh, this... Uh, <laughs> I forgot what he used to describe it, but it was it, like the black hole of Calcutta. Exactly, I think he called it. <laughs> right. And uh, so you were there like every night. Yeah, we were. We were playing at a place called the Brave New World, which had been a gay bar. And um, when we started playing, and uh, more and more straight people started to show up, that it changed from a gay bar into a straight bar, and. Um, it would have been Dorothy, Tom, Beto would have been Bill, Dorothy, Thomas, and Linda. They were the family that owned the place. And they came in and made us an offer that if we uh, would move over to Beto Lido's, they would allow us to design the stage and sound system to our liking, which was great. And uh, even though we were making a little bit less money, it was uh, cool in the sense that it was uh, on Cosmos Alley. And... We didn't have as much problems with the fire marshals as we were having at right. the Brave New World. So, and, and from what I've seen, uh, there were pictures of people actually filling up the alley. 
Yeah. Just filling up the yeah. alley, all the overflow. And they started charging people for just coming into the alley because they could not get into the club. So they had these huge uh, Voice of the Theater speakers outside. Right. And people would pay just to dance outside. So it was cool. Must have been great times. Yeah. And, uh, and that was next to a club called Shelley's Manhole? Right, yeah. And so all of the jazz. It was really interesting, but I met Miles there, and, and uh, I'd, I'd known Charles Lloyd for some time. But uh, many jazz musicians would come over and uh, listen to us play. And, of course, to kind of um, See check out on. the young ladies that were there. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, so we, uh, it, it was interesting. Yeah, that whole, uh, you know, uh, back in New York, we saw, you know, they had the, uh, the riots on Sunset Strip and the whole thing with uh, Buffalo Springfield right, and for yeah. what it's worth and, yeah. and all that, which was kind of alien to us back in New York, as much as as most things were, you've you've spent time in New York, so you know right, yeah. how how what a different vibe it is. And we used to go down to the village and uh, and uh, go to coffee houses, you mm-hmm. know, uh, you know, uh, after the Beatnik era, mm-hmm. uh, before they started calling us uh, hippies. <laughs> and uh, but I I would always see the stuff on Sunset Strip and and the music that was coming out of there. And uh, the first time. I ever tuned into a uh, FM rock station. Uh, the first time I tuned into it, they had just come on the scene. The first song I heard was Seven and Seven Is, and it was, uh, <laughs> I've never been the same since. I mean, that, that, that song is just, uh, was unlike anything else at the time, mm-hmm. the, 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 the energy. Mm-hmm. And then Definitely. all of a sudden, the, it stops. Yeah. And the well, sleepwalk type uh, break. Yeah, and it goes into kind of a blues jam. But going back to the people during that time, the uh, store owners and shopkeepers and restaurant owners were very short-sighted then because they have thousands of young people coming there. And instead of thinking this is an opportunity to, to expand their business, they saw it as some kind of threat, except for the guy at Cantor's. And we used to go to Candor's, and during the worst shift from like uh, 2 until 6 in the morning when it's dead, we started going there, and he noticed all these people were coming there, all of these kids. So he would give the musicians a doors and us, Iron Butterfly, give us a table and give us free food just to come there so they could bring all these people in. Right. And so he was smart. The rest of them were rather dumb, but he was smart. So Candor's is still going, and most of those places are long since gone. i was there wednesday myself really bringing yeah. back some stuff down here yeah i love the food <laughs> yes uh yeah i guess there was canters uh was was open and still is open yeah. 24 hours which is really an anomaly i mean yeah places open 24 hours today and uh <laughs> and yes i've always read that uh it's always been uh friendly to musicians uh because of the hours you know, and who else is out on the streets right. at, at 2 a.m.? So, who yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, you're right. He was smart. He took advantage of it where other people, I guess there was uh, Tiny Nailers. or Right. That, that was the Carolina Pines uh, or was across the street. That They were kind of uh, accommodating for musicians, but Ben Franks was totally, you know, they didn't want musicians there, and they would do everything they could to keep really? us from coming. So now they're gone, and, you know, so, hey. Just goes to show you. Goes That's right. to show you. Be be kind to your fellow to, <laughs> Absolutely. Your, to your musicians. Absolutely. And uh and then you moved on to the whiskey. Right, yeah. It was kind of like I call it passing the baton because you had the birds. 
I guess, were the house band originally? Well, they played at the Whiskey. I right. wouldn't call them the house band, but yeah, right. they played there. And the thing was, at the time, the Whiskey had a reputation for not paying the artists. And <laughs> so um, David Crosby, who's a friend of ours, said, you know, they paid us. So we took the gig there and played, and it was really successful, and they paid us. So from that point on, it became a place where musicians were playing. But before that, you, you were kind of leery of playing you know, certain places, and the whiskey was one of them. And, and, and now it's, it's a legend. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's a legend. And, uh, and then, of course, you, were, you became the house band. You created all this, uh, all this uh, interest. And, uh, and then, of course, Jack Holtzman saw you there. And the first time, I think, uh, what I've read— and. I don't know if it's true. The first time he wasn't that impressed, and then he was uh, coerced to go back and see you guys again. No, no, that was the Doors. When he saw us the first oh, time, okay. yeah, because Herb Cohen had uh, initially spoke with him. Uh, he was in New York, and he came down specifically to see us. So that was at Vito Lito's, and, and immediately that same night, we went over to Canners and started working out a, a record deal. And we had been approached by many, many companies, uh, Columbia Capital, I think, um, uh, Dot Records, but they wouldn't allow us to own the copyrights and publishing to our music. Mm -hmm. And that was the thing that we all, because uh, we'd known people like Little Richard and Earl Grant, and they always said, don't let anybody take your music from you. Always own your copyrights. So we took that to heart. And out of all the companies, Electra was the only one that would allow us to do that. And so that was basically the only reason we signed with them, because they were a much smaller record company right. than, than uh, the ones that were offering us deals. And that was kind of a, a, a leap of faith for them, because prior to your signing, uh, did they have Butterfield Blues Band at that time? Yeah, they had Butterfield. That was it, right? that was it. yeah, that was it. It was so, mostly folk and, yeah. Uh, yeah just, yeah, and Judy Collins, I think, Tim Buckley. Right. Yeah, so no, they were looking for a rock group. They had tried to sign uh, Loving Spoonful, right. and um, they weren't able to work out a deal. So um, we were uh, on their agenda, so they came and, and saw us and uh, immediately were you know enamored with the group and thought that we would fit into their way of looking at things. Right, <laughs> which they probably thought better of. Oh, I think so. I think later, <laughs> they, later didn't know, they, didn't. they didn't know what they were in for with Arthur, did they? No, they didn't. <laughs> and and uh, so uh, so that whole strip scene, and and so your your uh, label mates are the Doors because after the signing you, they then signed uh, the Doors. Yeah, and the Doors always looked up to you, you know, as as. Mm -hmm. Hey, we want to be like love. Mm -hmm. We want to be exactly like love. We want to have their following. Mm -hmm. And now you look back in retrospect, and and we'll talk about that later about why that happened. Because certainly, uh, from a musician standpoint, and from a, I mean, a writing standpoint. I mean, you guys with Brian McLean and and, and Arthur writing, mm -hmm. and you guys with the music uh, as as you know fully trained musicians. I mean, you guys weren't just kids playing in the garage right. uh you should have gone further you know uh you uh so we'll talk about that but uh i just wanted to uh give people a picture of what the uh, sunset strip was like back then and here's a song that uh has a bit of a reference to that whole scene arthur lee and his psychedelic band come on 
Track 16. Are we rolling? Yeah. One, two, Actually, that wasn't what I was going to play. Uh, let's see if we can get it queued up here. Let's see. This should be it. It's a song that uh, refers to the scene on the Sunset Strip back in uh, 1965 and 1966 from Forever Changes. is happening and how have you been gotta go but I'll see you again and oh the music is so loud and then I fade into the crowds of people standing everywhere Street, I'm at the slop affair, and here they always play my songs. And me, I wonder if it's wrong or right, they come here just the same, telling everyone about their games. And if you think it obsolete. 
then you go back across the street. Yeah.
summertime's here And look at their flowers every Where in the morning In the morning different ending it's an alternate track that i uh picked up from that song because that song ends quite abruptly it has this uh i don't know how to describe it it has this like uh the original that that's actually on forever changes the first uh the first pressing of it uh the way that song ends it's kind of startling yeah it is it's kind of a staccato right right Right, and kind of leaves you hanging, just like the lyrics. And, and uh, while we were listening, I, I was asking Johnny. Uh, Johnny Eccles, by the way, co-founder and lead guitarist of Love, is my guest here on the uh, anniversary of the passing of Arthur Lee, uh, August 3rd, 2006. And uh, I was asking uh, on song, uh, maybe the people would be the times between Clark and Hildale. Uh, the, uh, there's... Uh, there's a part where there's there's rhyming going on, and all of a sudden you're waiting for this rhyme. I think the the the, the line previous was loud, and you're waiting for it to say crowd because it does fit in, and he just leaves you hanging, and and uh, and how that uh, came about from uh, I guess improvisation. Right. Yeah. It was as I said, we were uh, very involved in, in jazz and, and listening to the last poets and and improv. Improvisational music was really something that we enjoyed, so that was uh, an attempt at at that. And uh, starting the verse with the, the last one that, as right. she said, left you hanging. Yeah, yeah, it was great. And yeah. you know, and 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 uh, we were just talking. Every time you listen to uh, uh, another uh, version of it, another copy uh, remastering. I mean, I have probably seven or eight different versions of Forever Changes. I just picked up. Uh, you know the 180 gram vinyl right, yeah. uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, you, you hear more detail and 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 different sounds come out, and it makes you listen more and more to uh, even the stuff that you thought you knew, uh, the lyrics, and uh, and all of a sudden you discover something else, and it, it's I, I try and turn everybody on to Forever Changes and say if you haven't listened to it. Just give yourself about 40 minutes or so and sit down, close your eyes, and, and just, you know, shut off all electronics and just listen to it and listen to it in, in, in that perspective. And you'll come away uh, with a whole different uh, expression because originally when that record came out, it, it kind of, you know, got ignored because I guess people didn't understand it. Right. They didn't understand it. And if you get a chance... 
listening to it on vinyl with a really, really good sound system. I heard it on Krell Monoblocks. These are, oh, I think, okay. they're about yeah. $30,000, $40,000 each for the amps. And then um, there were Wilson Watt puppies, the speakers. Oh, yeah. And it just brings you into it. It really is incredible, the sound that uh, they've able to. I think it was, um, gosh, I, well, I've forgotten the name of the company that did that, but... Um, they really did a Sundays, I think. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And they did a fantastic job of remastering it. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, that record when you when you put it into context of what was out there, uh, this is uh, right around the time of Sgt. Pepper, but it 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 just was so different than anything else out there. Everything else was just songs. You know, you you make an album and there's a whole bunch of songs. Hey. You got to fill up two sides, seven on each side, and and that's it. And of course, Sgt. Pepper was a concept album, and other than that, uh, you know, forever changes. And adding the strings of, uh, I guess, the arranger was a uh, David Angel, right? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and and the production quality and everything, and but that came uh, with great pain, didn't it? Absolutely. You know, uh, if you don't mind revisiting a little bit about. Uh, the the uh the whole scene uh recording forever changes you you had just come off uh de capo and uh which also i guess forever changes and i don't i've not read this but i'm thinking now that that was author's plan just keep changing things yeah and never never so you never know where he's going and forever changes is probably uh came from that Absolutely. And the problems with that were that Brian and I both had written songs and, and uh, we wanted to get them recorded, and Brian uh, more so than I. But so we'd all worked, uh, initially Forever Changes was going to be a two-album set, and so everyone worked out their songs and, and spent months getting it together. And then at the last moment, the uh, record company decided that they were going to pay for a double album. And... Um, so there was animosity and, and a lot of problems. So um, I know I've heard that it was because people couldn't play their instruments or drugs, but none of that had anything to do with what was happening. Brian had decided that if they weren't going to do more of his stuff, that he was going to hold back on Forever Changes. So he just kind of slacked off and didn't play as well as he would have. And Brian was integral to the group. When you listen to the finger picking and the little flourishes that he adds, they were really right. uh, instrumental in making love what it was. And if Brian lays off uh, and then he uh, kind of talked Kenny into doing the same thing, then you don't really have a love-sounding album. You have stuff that, you know, kind of, it's just meandering. Right. And that's what was happening. And um, everybody was just kind of getting, you know, more and more frustrated trying to get this thing done. The record company was putting pressure on everyone to finish it, even though they're the ones that caused the problem in the first place by telling us one thing and then doing another. So uh, that's where all the problems started, and getting us through that was really difficult, and we ended up bringing in uh, David, uh, excuse me, um, Don Randy, rather, from the Wrecking Crew and a couple of the people. Carol uh, Kay. Carol Kay, yeah. And they tried playing, and they're fantastic musicians, but they don't sound like us. So they did one song, I think, uh, Parts of, um, uh, I think it was Daily Planet. I'm not sure it was either Daily Planet or Good Humor Man. Anyway, they played 
parts of that and they realize that it's just not they sound fine but it's not the same group so um we all got together and talked about it and said that you know we're not going to go out like this with this ragtag sounding thing and so we went back uh and rehearsed and got ourselves together and did what we did yeah well studio musicians are just that they're they're kind of clinical absolutely yeah they they play they read they read Mm -hmm. music and they play Mm -hmm. it and there's no emotion there's no uh there's no edge there's no you know they they don't know where yeah so i I found that to be uh fascinating because when you listen to the finished product uh you would never know that (laughs) that there was uh, it, it seemed like the most uh orchestrated thing there ever was well there's a lot of blood sweat toil and tears that went into that but you know it it was worth it in the end but yeah a whole lot went in and i think that was kind of serendipitous and to to the fact that the 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 album would have been entirely different had we not have gone through those changes because we, we were playing before we it was different than what you hear you know but uh Everybody kind of uh, came together and stretched and pushed the envelope a bit. Yeah, there's, uh, I mean, you know, when you think of love in, as a whole, as an aggregate, and, you know, everybody says, well, Arthur was a, you know, genius, and, and, and he was. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he, had, he had this, this concept and, and these ideas. But, you know, the, and, and it's evidenced in later, because after you guys uh, were... Or after you guys split, and it was just Arthur, and then he hired new musicians, uh, that magic is gone. I mean, that that uh, magic, and it's not because the other musicians were not great musicians mm-hmm. or or as good as you. Mm-hmm. There's a a synergy that only comes with playing together and and living together like you guys did. I mean, right. you guys all lived together. You lived right. in that castle, yeah. And, uh, yeah, and 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 shared everything. You shared. Uh, you know the the pains and from mm-hmm. what i've from what i've read and mm-hmm. uh so you can't replicate that by hiring a bunch of guys and go on stage and plug in a bunch of martial amplifiers and make a lot of noise and and it's so evidence because forever changes you know after that there's really there's there's nothing in, in terms of uh there's talk about this uh uh, Gethsemane or something. Gethsemane. Gethsemane, Gethsemane is the the songs that would have gone on forever changes that didn't. So that's um, where that comes from. Gethsemane, where um, Jesus was betrayed, and so being a, a kid, that to me it seems like we were being tra- betrayed by the record company. So that was the title we came up with for the, the songs that didn't uh, end up on forever changes, but. Uh, going back to the thing, the the fact was that the members in the group were trusted since we lived together and were friends and saw each other every day. We were trusted, and you could know. I could know where Brian was going, so we didn't get in each other's way, and no one was trying to outdo the other. We were trying, the music was the most important thing, and making it sound as good as we could. And we all had a common goal, which is quite different than hiring studio musicians to do the same thing. But it was uh, a matter of everyone having, uh, Arthur having faith and people being able to interpret the music the way he wanted. And so they played what came to their minds rather than being told. And the later incarnations were told what to play rather than allowed, you know, 
Well, yeah, because you guys were still a collaborative effort. I mean, mm-hmm. Arthur would probably write a song like uh, uh, The Good Humor Man, sitting, I, I think he was sitting at a, uh, on the lawn of a high school mm-hmm. and came up with this imagery of uh, little girls in pigtails. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then you guys would get in the studio and, and work it out and add. And, right, yes. right. Yes, and uh, uh, jumping back before, you know, to... Uh, to uh de capo and uh revelation uh i was it was actually the first time i was ever in a room where people inhaled and (laughs) and and, uh it was a revelation i mean that song you know uh i've read where not everybody is really proud of that and i know you actually wrote it Mm -hmm. and uh still listening it listening to it this day when you listen to it there was nothing quite like it uh Everybody talks about it in God of the Vita being, you know, this uh, 17-minute opus. Mm. Well, Revelation is 18 minutes, and it preceded it by a couple of years, and wasn't just rock. It had all these elements. You had hired, at that time, a couple of extra musicians to be part of Love, mm. uh, uh, to, bring in, uh, to bring in some wind instruments, mm. and it had this... Uh, like Coltrane, Miles wasn't there yet, but Coltrane certainly was getting into that Eastern type influence. So, what can you tell about that? We wanted to fuse. That would have been probably the first one of the first fusion jazz. So, we wanted to put jazz, rhythm and blues, and rock and roll together and fuse it, you know, into a kind of um, a jam. And we would do. Um, what's called Revelations. When we played it, we used to tie it, it was called John Lee Hooker. And we would do that every night. And sometimes we would do that song the whole night. And it was at least an hour, you know, so (laughs) to condense that down to 18 minutes was difficult. So what happened was Paul Rothschild came in and he had these long tapes and he just started splicing to put things together. So what you hear on that record is not the way it would have sounded live. It would had, you know, because when you're playing jazz or that type of improvisational music, you have a build and you're going somewhere with right. it. And you see the beginning, the end, the middle, as a jazz musician would play, and he has a story to tell. Well, that song told a story, but when you hear it, kind of uh, the collage that it came to be, it's not quite the same as it was live. But, you know, I still... I'm proud of it. I know everybody else kind of thought it was kind of disjointed, but, you know, nah, I like I, it. I, I, yeah. I just listened to it a couple of weeks ago, and I thought yeah. it was quite good. It's, uh, you know, uh, and especially in, in the context of what was happening then in music. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you talk about fusion. You know, Miles, of course, you know, later brought fusion to the mainstream with Bitches Brew in, in a silent way, but yeah. this precedes that by two or three years. And... Yeah. Uh, you know, 18 minutes <laughs> took yeah. up a whole side, and uh, uh, and then uh, other groups started doing that. You yeah, know, the doing, Rolling Stones and Miles Davis. Going Miles, home, right? Yeah, Miles told me that he got the Jack Jones thing. I uh, love Jack yeah, Jones. Yeah, that's my favorite yeah, Miles yeah, album. Yeah, yeah. So he got that from um, uh, listening to Revelation. Right so, off. Yeah. By uh, yeah. Uh, which is, uh, and I. I, I bought the box set which has all these outtakes yeah uh, and uh just just fabulous stuff but uh so da capo uh was just a, a phenomenal uh record in uh 
you know, commercially it was, I guess, okay. Mm-hmm. It did quite well, actually. And uh, and it was a change from the first Love album because of Revelation and mm-hmm. uh, and some uh, some of the other songs uh, that uh, I guess Brian had written. Mm-hmm. And Brian had a different, uh, I guess. Uh, Arthur was dark and more of a uh, cynical human being, and Brian seemed to be more of this optimistic, hey, everything's groovy. I don't know. Yeah, and that was the way the songs were, and a lot of times we we had to kind of fiddle with them to you know make them a little darker, but Brian saw things like that, the rose-colored glasses thing. You know, He, he looked at life a different way. He loved show tunes, and... He wanted to bring that into to rock, yeah. Well, he uh, would, you know, orange-colored rainbows and, and chocolate, you know, waterfalls or whatever he would come up with. Speaking it was- of colors, uh, <laughs> now here's a song, the title, and uh, and then of course later on, the Stones did uh, did a song. She comes in colors. Let's listen. Of something to do. Expressions tell everything I see one on you Whoa, 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 whoa My love, she comes in colors You can tell her From the clothes she wears When I was invisible I needed no light You saw right through me, you said Was I out of sight? Whoa, 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 whoa My love, she comes in colors You can tell her From the clothes she wears She wears Whoa, 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 whoa My love, she comes in colors You can tell her From the clothes she wears When I was in England town The rain fell right down I looked for you everywhere Till I'm not around Whoa, 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 whoa My love, she comes in colors You can tell her From the clothes she wears
two minutes of uh, <laughs> chaos, controlled chaos, I guess is the word for that song, and uh, really spotlights your playing. Now, you're considered quite the guitar player. A lot of people uh, don't know that uh, you've played on quite a few, uh, quite a few uh, records other than Love and been in the studio. You, uh, I guess... Uh, honed your chops playing, you know, on the sessions with Arthur back in the early days. But uh, even after that, you've uh, you've done quite a bit of studio work. And I read Michael Stewart's book, Michael Stewart Ware's book, the uh, drummer, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, he can't talk enough about your uh, guitar playing ability. And uh, seven and seven is, of course, uh, is probably uh, a good a good a good way to start in listening to uh, some of Johnny's work. And uh, you, you're also, you had quite a collection of guitars back in the day. Back in the day, I did. If I only had a couple of them, I'd be quite happy. Now. You still have the double neck? I have none of them. No? No. Oh, man. No. That uh, you were the first one I've ever seen, the first one I ever saw with a double neck guitar. And uh, uh, I forgot where you were playing. Maybe it was on American Bandstand or something, but... Uh, you know, back then, uh, nobody played a double-neck guitar. And, uh, of course, some of the uh, people like John McLaughlin uh, started using it, uh, who, of course, played with Miles. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, you're one of those uh, unsung guitar players. And if you listen carefully to a lot of the uh, musical pieces, uh, you know, the delicacy, uh, you know, you're able to go from those really, really uh, delicate pieces and then go into something like seven and seven is, and then uh, the uh, kind of Santo and Johnny uh, at the end. Yeah, we had kind of eclectic tastes in music. You know, Arthur and I both we liked rhythm and blues, we liked jazz, we liked classical music, we liked all types of music. So we tried to incorporate that into the sound of the group, and it, it was interesting to be able to wear all those hats. You know, I, I thought it was fascinating to be able to just not be categorize as a you know hard rock group or play one particular style all the time it was neat to be able to move from one genre to the next so let me ask you a question uh i don't know if you've ever been asked this you probably have so forever changes uh finishes and uh everybody goes on takes a little hiatus and you and and say you didn't split up you guys all stayed together there was none of that uh you know uh, kind of bitterness from that session. Uh, where do you think you would have gone? I think we probably would have moved more in the, the direction of jazz, a fusion thing. And I'm thinking uh, because of where um, uh, the song uh, Your Mind and We, if you listen to that, we're right. basically the, the guitar solo is a bebop jazz solo. It doesn't sound like it, but that's what I'm trying to emulate, a saxophone, you know, uh, uh, Charlie Parker or, or Dizzy Gillespie, and doing that kind of music. So I think we would have probably pushed uh, more in that direction. Now, there's a story that you actually went to a club in New York, maybe the bottom line or something, right. and, and, uh, and just listening to music, and somebody played that riff. Yeah, that was, we went to see Charlie Mingus. He had a group, and he would often get musicians from Juilliard. So he had a young saxophone player 
from Juilliard. And we walk in the door. Now, he didn't know that we were coming there. And I walk right. in the door, <laughs> and he breaks into that. The solo from um, Your Mind and We. It was just really. And we're going to listen to that yeah. in, in, in a moment. Uh, uh, one of the, uh, talk about dark songs, but uh, signed DC. And uh, I remember the first time I heard it, somebody introduced it as signed death certificate. And then later on, somebody said, no, that's signed Don Conca, who mm-hmm. was the original drummer right. uh, with uh, Love. Uh, so, uh, you know, that, that song, which is obviously about someone it's kind of like uh, the Beatles' happiness is a warm gun. It's, uh, uh, I guess, a uh, song about somebody, you know, getting a fix. Well, you see, this was the first experience that we had had with really hard drugs from Don. You know, later on, we'd all, you know, experience it. But at that time, we hadn't known of it. And Don Conker was probably one of the finest drummers who ever lived. He just had an innate ability. He was really a fantastic drummer. And so we did everything we could to keep him. So we would buy him drums and renting, rent him an apartment. And we'd go by to pick him up. There'd be somebody else living there. And, you know, he had <laughs> sold the drums and the apartment for drugs. But So he became really, really uh, just totally immersed in the drug culture and didn't want to play anymore. And so that song was kind of uh, about his struggle. Let's listen to it. Sign DC on a whole nother thing. Sometimes I feel so lonely. My come down, I'm scared to face. I've pierced. My skin again, Lord. No one cares for me. My soul belongs to the dealer. Keeps my mind as well. I play the part of a leecher. No. Arms 
I've got one foot in the graveyard. No one cares for me. Cares for me. Cares for me. To understand just why I feel like I have been through hell, but you tell me I haven't even started yet to live here. You've got to give more than you get. That's enough. But I said it's all right. I'd like to understand today. Then maybe I would know who I was when I was when it was yesterday. The seasons and the reasons are on display, and I know. I, 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 They just seem to clutter up my mind, and if it's mine, throw it away, throw it again. Once for my girlfriend. So many voices. Don't let them stop between my ears. But it appears that there they are, though they're wrong, ten thousand strong. Oh yeah. I'm locking my heart in the closet.
Solo is really out of sight, man. <laughs> was 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 Arthur uh, generous with uh, praise? Because that just seemed out of character. Actually, Arthur was very generous with praise. You see, the the that's a facade that that he would put on, uh, of being the kind of uh, hard to get along with person. And all that amongst people that knew him, Arthur was just a lovable. A light-hearted, fun person to be around, but he became rather jaded just from being in that business. Sure, and uh, and he was very guarded. If he didn't know you, you know, it was really hard to break through. But if you know him, he was just the sweetest person. Yeah, in in Michael's book, he uh, described an, an encounter with uh, Jim Morrison. I guess uh, Jim was hanging out with Brian McLean, mm-hmm. and uh, you guys were all living together, and he was downstairs or something, and. Uh, and uh, Jim was Jim was sunbathing uh, uh, a la fresco. Yeah, <laughs> and Arthur kind of got in his face. Yeah, well, Jim was was uh, he would just do things to shock you. And I remember one time he just took a leak in the pool. I mean, standing <laughs> on the side. It wasn't in the pool. He was standing on the side. Right. And so, uh, yeah, he Arthur wasn't happy. I uh, there's a, a great clip I actually posted on uh, on a posting this week uh, for the show with uh, Dick Clark and, uh, and and Arthur asking him about the castle and uh, well all you guys but but uh, notably Arthur the body language was like uh, how lame is this guy and uh, what are we doing here uh, we're so out of place with these little teeny boppers and uh, you you guys were really appealing to a, a much much different audience than yeah. American Bandstand, but you got to pay your dues and and do that. And I guess uh, the reason you guys never really got to where you should have been was because uh, you didn't you didn't do that stuff. You didn't do the the uh, you know the sock hops and the uh, and you didn't tour. I mean, really didn't uh, put together any uh, long tours. I don't think you never played the UK. Right. Oh, yeah. Actually, we did tour quite a bit. But, see, there were problems. One of them was that uh, many groups would just play, and they would go places and play. We insisted upon being given an advance, and when we got there, to be paid cash before we went on stage because we knew how this business works. And a lot of times people would go there and play, and the promoters would take off, and they wouldn't get paid. <laughs> So we insisted on being paid that this was, you know, this was our livelihood. So, of course, we toured as much as we could. We weren't independently wealthy. We needed right. to play and to get paid. But we also, being a mixed racial group, a lot of places like in the South, we just couldn't play. Yeah. You know, and uh, a lot of places in the Midwest or Utah, Colorado, many places, uh, Texas we played. But um, we went to Florida and there were problems and uh Many places there were problems. Oh, so. I, I, yeah, I, I, and I, I can't relate to the uh, racial aspect of that, mm-hmm. but uh, I remember I went to school in Miami, and uh, this was 1969. We had just seen Easy Rider, mm-hmm. and uh, my buddy and I drove from New York every year to start the new semester, and uh, we stopped in like Fayetteville, North Carolina, or somewhere like that, yeah. on the way down, and we had long hair and you know t-shirts and jeans and looking like you know we'd driven for like 14 hours straight so we looked just like you know you know and so we pulled into this diner and we went to have a cup of coffee and and a bite to eat 
And uh, everybody in that place just turned around and looked at us. Yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, so, yeah, I, I can imagine what it was like. Uh, you know, you hear stories about baseball players uh, during the 50s and early 60s, you know, uh, when everybody thought it was uh, segregation was over, but they still had to travel in different. Uh, right. And stay in different hotels. There are places we couldn't stay in the hotels. We have to be uh, to stay in people's homes or, or certain places. And. You know, we weren't going to buy into that madness, you know, so that was one of the main reasons we didn't tour as much as we should have. But no, we definitely, as I said, were amenable to touring because we needed to uh, to promote the record, but more so we needed to live. And as musicians, that was our livelihood. Yeah, there was a yeah, there was always a story that uh, Arthur just didn't want to leave L.A. and mm-hmm. you, you pretty much stayed within that proximity and you know there's so many myths and and that's why i was uh, happy that you came on to dispel some of those myths i mean you've become the de facto curator of the museum being that uh you and michael are are the only two and you're the only one from the core group Mm -hmm. from the original michael joined uh during de capo right yeah uh, he replaced snoopy and uh and and everybody's gone it's just uh, uh you and michael uh uh to to let us know what's going on and uh the stories are unbelievable i've read as much as i could about and there's still contradictions of course but that was one of the reasons i came in out of the cold so to speak because for many years i didn't uh, have anything to do with music or would i interview but i thought that um i wanted to dispel some of the nonsense and also to give people a kind of an idea of the reality in which we lived Right. Rather than the apocryphal nonsense that people sure. think, sure, yeah, yeah, because uh, you know, and and this happens with with quite a few people that have had reputations as mm-hmm. as being difficult, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and Arthur more so because uh, the the genius of the man, you know, in, in terms of his mm-hmm. of his vision uh, and and his songwriting, mm-hmm. both him and Brian, and and they of course. From what I've read, again, I can only go by what I've read. I wasn't there, but uh, Brian and, and Arthur had a uh, common interest, a love interest, and uh, it's said that there's a song, Stephanie Knows Who. Right, yeah. And, and, and that became uh, uh, kind of a, a dividing line between Arthur and, and Brian and, and, and probably prevented them, or maybe it actually helped them because there was a kind of a tension no, that was more of uh, guys, young guys going after the same girl. That wasn't really, really any tension, but several songs, uh, A My Love, Be My Love, So Hard to Choose. That's Arthur, My Love, Brian. It's again about the same girl. And then the one about Stephanie Buffington, that's uh, the words in that song, um, uh, A Tiger Did, You Said He Did. She um, had been pregnant and now we were rather naive kids and hadn't known a young girl who had been pregnant so Uh we went to the beach and she had these uh what were stretch marks on her side now arthur saw them and we asked what is that and she said a tiger had clawed her and so that's what that song is about (laughs) Uh, a tiger clawed your side well that was uh her Telling us that she had uh, had an encounter well, with a tiger. Well, now it all makes sense, right? <laughs> but yeah, and then the, the whole song speaks to the relationship and the rivalry between Arthur and Brian. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> so uh, 
Another myth dispelled here <laughs> on a whole nother thing. This is a whole nother thing. My name is Bob Goodman. I'm sitting here with Johnny Eccles, co-founder and lead guitarist of the legendary band Love. And we've got a couple of uh, emails uh, from uh, from quite a distance. We have well, we have one from Seattle. Uh, Ted Cogswell uh, emails. Uh, were there any bands on the strip uh, while you were playing and part of that scene? that influenced you guys as a whole? I know you influenced The Doors and quite a few others. I'd say we were influenced to a degree by the early birds. Right. And there was a group called The Blues Project that we really loved. (laughs) And I think there may have been some influence there because they were people that were pushing it, you know? And that was the thing that we wanted to do, kind of move beyond the stereotypical thing that, you know, a rock group. And we most definitely didn't want to be categorized because of a racial makeup as a blues group, you know, rhythm right. and blues. So we did everything we could to, you know, to go stray as far away from that as we could. So that's why we chose to be who we were and to play the music we did. Now you say the blues project, uh, which in my scene growing up in New York, they were my, they were my love because mm-hmm. we used to go see him in in parks in St. Mar- you know in the East Village back then mm-hmm. before it got to be uh, just a nasty nasty uh nasty scene it became like hate ashbury yeah. but but prior to that the blues project uh came out of there and uh you know Al Cooper and those guys mm-hmm. and uh just great influence on me uh so uh, I'm glad you said that because yeah. those guys were those guys were great so that's for Ted in Seattle. And then we have someone from way over the pond down under in uh, Australia listening. Alistair uh, asks, uh, 7 and 7 uh, by some is considered the precursor of punk. What do you think? Yeah, I've been told it was a kind of proto-punk thing, but I'm not sure I agree with that. We were, as as you mentioned before, it was kind of controlled chaos, but... We were trying to push the envelope a bit sonically. So whereas when you would go into the studio, normally you'd have these gobos up or you'd have uh, them trying to isolate each instrument. And this one, we wanted to, we turned the amplifiers toward the wall so that there would be leakage. To 11, right? Yeah, absolutely. And the the, uh, music hit the wall and then bounced back into the mic. And then Kenny played with... He was probably one of the first bass players to use an effect. He had a a kind of a fuzz when he did this glissando thing, and the fuzz allowed his bass to have this unique sound. And so we were trying to uh, take it in another direction. So I don't know, as I said, whether it was necessarily punk. It could be, but... Um, um, well, it seems to be the anthem that most <laughs> punk bands adopted. Uh, every time the I see the... I get drawn into watching this movie Point Break. It's yeah. kind of a pointless yeah. movie, but it's I get drawn into it, and uh, and they play Seven and Seven yeah. Is uh, during a surfing scene. It became adopted, I guess, by a lot of the hardcore surfers, which and mostly you know they call them headbangers or whatever. But uh, but uh, I guess punk took a whole different meaning uh, because when you think about it, I mean the police. Which I know you uh, appreciate. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had posted something, uh, Every Breath You Take, which is a, uh, one of the things I always talk about on the show is well-crafted songs. Right, yes. And that song yeah. is, you may hate it because it was commercial, uh, but you can't take away from the fact that it's, uh, 
pretty flawless in terms of a crafted song. And and the thing that draws me to Forever Changes on a continuing basis, and not just me, but, uh, I mean, you guys, for the short period of time you were together, the core band, you have such a cult following from all over the world. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, the people that have responded to my post on Facebook to the invite, and most people don't even bother with invites, you know, they, they'll they click if they can, but uh, we've got quite a bit and, and quite a few from the UK and uh, uh, they have quite a few websites, which I'm sure you're familiar mm -hmm. with, uh, honoring love and a tribute to love. Uh, so in that short period of time, you you guys, I mean, you know, you listen to the Ramon stuff, some of that, mm -hmm. and, and, and the whole pace of the music, because prior to that, I don't know, and I would know if there was something quite like 7 and 7 is before you guys came out with it. It's just frantic. It's just, mm -hmm. but it but it has a purpose. It has a purpose. But absolutely. the lyrics and the lyrics are trippy, man. Well, see, the lyrics are autobiographical. If you listen to them, when I was a boy, I thought about the time I'd be a man. I'd sit inside a bottle and like he's pretending. Right. His father would come home at the, precisely the same time every day, and he'd sit in his chair and he would be lost in the fireplace with little Flash the dog <laughs> sitting there next to him watching him because. Miss Lee would put the dinner on the table precisely at six every day. And so Arthur kind of uh, was writing about that. And um, there's this little um, wizard hat that they <laughs> you get from uh, Disneyland. And Arthur loved that hat. And many times when he was younger, uh, he did something wrong, he'd get a timeout. And that little hat was the ice cream cone. His mother would make him sit in the corner wearing that hat. <laughs> and so that's where that song is about, Arthur. It's really? His life. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. his life. So it, it makes sense when you listen to it as an autobiography. Right. But than, if you're not knowing it, you're going, man, these guys must have been tripping. <laughs> yeah. Well, they were. Really? we were <laughs> tripping. But, uh, you know. And the thing about the punk thing is, I, you know, I'm proud to accept that we were considered the godfathers of punk. But we were people that knew what we were playing. We could read the music that we were playing. We could lay it out. And we knew what we were doing. So even though sometimes we were minimalist in the way we approached certain songs, that by no means uh, does it say that the people in this group couldn't play their instruments. Oh, no. Because they absolutely could. So that's where we kind of... Uh, leave the punk thing you know because uh, we and, know what we we're doing and uh having read stuff about uh, I, I read jack holtzman's uh story about how he started electro records and mm -hmm. reading all that you know he certainly wouldn't have bet the farm on a group that wasn't that right was, of course not you know i mean not. he had he had so much to lose in terms of credibility because uh prior to that it was all I mean, truly folk. I mean, mm -hmm. not Judy Collins. Judy Collins is rock and roll compared to some right, of the yeah. people on yeah. on the original Vanguard, uh, uh, rather Electra Records. Yeah. And then he came out with this uh, uh, budget classical. And non such. Right, yeah. right. And so he was this highbrow guy that got drawn into this whole scene. And, uh, and, and then he had Butterfield. But prior to that, I mean... He, he bet the farm on you because he would have lost everything. I mean, it would have been over for Electra had that not been successful. And actually, it uh, you, you know, I mean, look what it turned into. I mean, the conglom 
the conglomeration with uh, and the collaboration with uh, Atlantic mm-hmm. and Warner Brothers right. and, and Warner, yeah. And uh, you know the rest is history. And but everything you read about uh, the genesis of Electra Records, uh, you guys are a big part of it. Mm-hmm. Even though uh, Arthur uh, <laughs> Arthur was certainly uh, uh, kind of a uh, I don't know what the right word is uh, to, to Jack Holtzman and his people. Not to Jack so much, but, I mean, he, he made the reps work for their money. Absolutely. But, you know, there was method to the madness there. We were underage when we signed with them. So we thought, well, if we don't get paid or that whatever, then we have an out because right. we were kids when we signed those contracts. And so I was still, even when we signed the second one, we went down to Tijuana and got these phony draft cards to make us appear older than we were. And then I was still underage when we signed the second contract, so we had a second out. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Crazy times, huh? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, and, you know, just uh, reading about Arthur and, uh, you know, know, Jimi Hendrix, when you look at Jimi Hendrix and, and Arthur, I mean, I... The first time I saw Jimi Hendrix was at a club in New York called The Cheater. They had another club out here, uh, same name. I don't know if it was the same. And I'm at The Cheater, which was basically a dance club and a place you went to, you know, find some mm-hmm. some company. To hook up. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And uh, I was like 16, 17, and they had this, uh, they had this R&B band. I, I don't know if it was Curtis Knight or it was someone like that. Uh, but they were a really tight R&B band. And here's this black cat playing the guitar behind his neck mm-hmm. and, 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 and doing this stuff. And we're just like sitting there going, wow. And two weeks later, he's down at the Cafe Wa with Randy California from Spirit. Mm-hmm. And it's Jimmy James and, and Jimmy James and the Blue Flame. Mm-hmm. Of course, there was uh, Georgie Fame and the Blue Flames. Mm-hmm. And... We went every single day he was there at the Cafe Y, and we just looked in awe and, uh, uh, at the things he was doing. It's not that he was a great guitar player, not that he had these great licks, but just, just his whole style and his dress. And Well, see, Jimmy had, you know, he kind of uh, gets the credit for doing, but Johnny Guitar Watson, Albert Collins... All of the guitar players, the blues guys back then would do that. They would play behind their backs and and do all of that, and they were called showboating. And um, when I first met Jimmy, he basically wasn't really that into that. He was was playing with, um, I think it was the Isley Brothers, and he was trying to get a gig with the OJs, but he was at the California Club, and uh, we were playing there as a backup group, and I come in, and there's a strange dude is playing my guitar upside down, you know. And that he was, was left-handed. Yeah, right. it's left-handed, and it was a no-no because musicians, if you don't know each other, you don't pick up a guy's axe. And he's playing my guitar, so you know, we right away, you know, we were at loggerheads, <laughs> and you need to put that down. But he was so cool, and and after talking to him a while, uh, we became friends, and he played. On the first record, I think the first session he did was with Arthur. They did a song called My Diary that Arthur had written about his girlfriend, Anita Billings. And uh, uh-huh. her, yeah, her mother found the diary, and so Arthur wrote a song about that. And that was the first time, I believe, that Jimmy recorded. And so 
I remember Jimmy absolutely differently than the, the Jimmy that came to be, the Jimi Hendrix, because when I knew him, Jimmy was rather, uh, let's say, he was kind of broke. And so he had these shoes that were, the heels were at a 45-degree angle because <laughs> he wore them. So, and right. he would reek of right guard. I mean, that was the thing. If he couldn't send his clothes to the cleaners, he'd just spray them off with right guard. <laughs> so I remember that, Jimmy, uh, as being, you know, the person that I knew. And then um, later, um, we hear this guy in San Francisco um and he's telling us about the musician, this black dude that does all this. And we did not know it was the same guy. And so we went to the whiskey, Arthur and I, and there he was, Jimmy James, but now he's Jimi Hendrix. And he's got on some decent shoes, but he's dressed like <laughs> Arthur. You right. know, he's wearing the same kind of outfits right. Arthur wore. Yeah, so. because if you look at the covers of, uh, of the Love albums, the early Love albums, uh, Arthur was, and well, all you guys yeah. were, were, were dressed pretty yeah. cool. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing is, about a year later, I go to this record store. This guy used to turn me on. He 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 turned me on to all this stuff from from England. Mm-hmm. You know, Dave D, Dozy, Mickey, Bicky, and Ticks. You know, stuff off the radar for most people. And he hands me uh, a record. He hands me a forty-five. Uh, I never forget. It's on Reprise Records, and it's it's uh, Hey Joe, and it's Jimi Hendrix Experience. And I go, you know, what's this? Hey Joe, I've heard a million versions of it you know and he goes no no no, you got to hear this and he says you know take it home and you know it was like 69 cents quite a leap of faith back then you know (laughs) (laughs) and i took it home and i go wow and then it occurred to me that this was jimmy james that i had seen uh both at the cheater and uh at the cafe wa and uh you know the rest is history as they say but uh uh it was just amazing, the transformations, because as I said, he was a journeyman guitar player. I mean, he was not that innovative. He was okay, but you never would have thought that, wow, this is going to be Jimi Hendrix. It just, And all of a sudden, within the space of a few months, he goes from being that guy to being God. And I don't right. know how the hell he made that you know, transformation, but he's, he did. <laughs> right, because he was, you know, as we, as we discussed with the uh, Wrecking Crew, you know, clinical. You're playing with those R and B bands. You got to play the same damn mm-hmm. notes every right. single time the same way. If they want to hear Mustang Sally, it better sound like Wilson Pickett. That's right. And uh, and then he goes into this, you know, purple haze and stuff. And, you couldn't um, be innovative because if you did, you'd get fined. Like playing with Little Richard or James Brown or any of those guys. If you didn't play the same note the same with the same cadence, you got fined. So, just just uh, <laughs> amazing stuff. Yeah. Hey, hey, we're going to take a break, and then we're going to listen to a couple of more tunes. This is a whole nother thing. My name is Bob Goodman. We do this every Saturday, you and I. Hang out, listen to a lot of great stuff, mostly music. You're never going to hear anywhere else, and certainly not presented this way. My special guest in the studio is Johnny Eccles. And uh, Johnny, for those of you not intimate with the group Love, is co-founder and the lead guitarist and lifelong friend of leader Arthur Lee. And we're going to talk more with Johnny and listen to some more music. But first, we have to take care of some business. We'll be right back. I promise. This is Garrison West with today's KSBR Entertainment Calendar. Tonight at the Vintage Steakhouse in San Juan Capistrano, John Salone takes the stage at 8. At the Balboa Bay Club in Newport Beach, it's the Mark LeBrun Quartet at 8. The Bayside Restaurant in Newport Beach features the Mike McKenna duo at 7. 
At Bistango and Irvine, Larry Fresh's trio will entertain you at 8. At Cedar Creek in Brea, it's Debbie Ebert and Richard Hera at 7. The Savannah Chop House in Laguna Niguel presents La Grand Bar at 6.30. Ralph Brennan's Jazz Kitchen in downtown Disneyland features Kenny Sarah and the Sounds of New Orleans at 7. At Stella's Serious Italian Restaurant in Monarch Bay, it's saxophonist Gary King at 6. Tonight at the McKinney Theater on the Saddleback College campus, there's a special kids show, Give My Regards to Broadway. Showtimes today are 2.30 and 7.30, and all tickets are $8. Saddleback College's McKinney Theater box office is open from noon until 4, and then one hour before showtime. For more information and a list of local venues, check out the entertainment section of ksbr.org. I'm Garrison West for FM 88.5 KSBR. KSBR supporters include Two Guys Grilling, providing California Q dining experiences for civic, corporate, and private events. For information about events, service offerings, and their line of 15 rubs, blends, and seasonings, visit their Facebook page or log on to twoguysgrilling.com. I need your help to get back to the year 1985. Do you want to go back in time to the 1980s? Join J.J. Buchanan for the 80s experience. You remember, Ronald Reagan was president. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Michael Jackson released the mega album Thriller and the commercials, movies, and television shows that made the 80s a once-in-a-lifetime decade. Sunday night starting at 8 on FM 88.5 KSBR. And this is a whole other thing with Bob Goodman on listener-supported FM 88.5 KSBR. And uh, our guest, as I mentioned, is Johnny Eccles, the co-founder and lead guitarist of the original Love Group that uh, recorded three albums, Love, the self-titled Da Capo, and uh, Forever Changes. We're going to listen to a couple of tunes from the great Forever Changes on a whole nother thing with Bob Goodman.
life goes on here Day after day I don't know if I am living or if I'm supposed to be Sometimes my life is so I don't know if the third's the fourth or if the, the fifth's to fix Sometimes I deal with numbers And if you want to count me, count me Snot has caked against my pants It has turned into crystal There's a bluebird sitting on a branch I guess I'll take my pistol I've got it in my hand 
because he's on my land. And so the story ended. You, you know it all so well. Or should you need I'll tell you? Recognize your artillery. I have seen you many times before. Once when I was an Indian and I was on my land. Why can't you understand? And so the story ended. You, you know it oh so well. Or should you need I'll tell you?
from Saddleback College, it's a whole other thing. And uh, what a great song. That whole album is just fabulous. And we're sitting here with uh, one of the architects of that album. His name is Johnny Eccles. He's the co-founder, lead guitarist. And that uh, guitar at the end, that last minute and a half or so, what kind of guitar were you playing? That was a 1952 Gold Top Gibson Les Paul. Okay, doesn't mean much to me, but maybe some of our <laughs> our musician friends that means something. It sounds like uh, it sounds like a great guitar. I mean, the, the sound out of it, uh, that whole album, the the guitar sound, uh, just different than anything else. You know, at that time, I mean, everybody was taking like. Uh, you know, 30-second solos, and uh, there you are, uh, you know, on quite a few of the songs, soloing out, you know, Your Mind and We Belong Together, but mm-hmm. this particular song, the end of it, just uh, the way it uh, the way it closes, that uh, sound, uh, just, just unbelievable. It's uh, just a great... What kind of amplification? That was a Vox AC-15. It was a little 15-watt amplifier, wow. so you would just crank it all the way up. and <laughs> Crank it to 11, <laughs> Yeah. Huh? Wow. Yeah. Good stuff. Uh, that song, Live and Let Live, and uh, The Red Telephone. And unfortunately, that song is so much more, but what as soon as you mention well as soon as you mention forever changes all the album with the snot song you know it's a, <laughs> you know it's a hell of a hell a hell of a way to re- remember it but it's it's so much more and and to me and i've said this on numerous occasions uh whenever i can it's uh such an important album in my life uh you know because I actually took the time to listen to it and the, the delicacy, the uh, the intricacy of of everything, the layers of sound and, you know, uh, the, the instrumentation that was, you know, heretofore, you know, it was never done before. I mean, the Beatles played around with some uh, stuff on Sgt. Pepper, but, I mean, just, uh, but the lyrics on your Al, on, on Forever Changes are so uh, mature, I would guess. You know, for a bunch of kids, you know, Arthur had this uh, this mature, he was, I guess, the, the best way to describe it, it, was he much older than he was? I think so, but Arthur was much more of a poet than he was a musician. He really, he saw things, but the, the thing was, he just had a way of looking at the world that was absolutely unique unto himself. You know, I'll tell you a brief story. I remember I was heartbroken. I was probably 15 or 16 over some little girl had done something. I don't know what it was. And, and anyway, uh, I was talking to Arthur about it, and he couldn't bring me out of it. So I come home one day, and there's a crutch with a wig on it and a purse. And he was just basically telling me that I was using this breakup as some kind of crutch, crutch. not to do what I needed to do. But, you know, just seeing that, I always remember seeing that crutch <laughs> sitting by my door. Getting on, get, get on with your life. Right, get on with your life. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, you know, and you guys were friends, you know, from the beginning and uh, in, until his, uh, until his death and, uh what was his, I, you know, I, I can't imagine what his mindset was. Here he was, you know, finally getting the, the recognition to do, he was doing these tours, and I, I saw Forever Changes uh, at the Coach House, him performing it, 
and finally getting the recognition and 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 the props from his not only from his musician friends but mm-hmm. from the press and and everybody started revisiting the music and and hear how ironic it is and and then he gets uh he gets you know stricken with leukemia yeah. and uh uh you know the the last what was we, you you were still friends with him at oh, that time. Of course, yeah. yes, yes. And uh, I went to Memphis to see him, and um, it, it was hard for me, you know, because he looked so different seeing him there. Right. And uh, in the hospital, because Arthur had been so robust and so full of life. He was he, an athlete. Yeah, right. he was an athlete in school. He still had the same sense of humor. Arthur was, uh, you know, just had a great sense of humor. He could light up the room, and he still had that, but... You know, he was kind of um, had gotten to the point where he, you know, uh, knew, you know, but we were doing, Diane and I and uh, the people that were close to him were doing everything we could to, you know, to bring his spirits up, to right. have him believe that things were going to be all right and it was going to be sure. better. So, uh, but, you know, he wasn't down. He, he became, uh, rather spiritual toward the end he'd always been a spiritual person but he you know had there was a a minister there at the hospital in memphis and he would come by and see arthur Uh often and they'd have these spiritual discussions so he became involved with that a lot more but he uh was pretty much himself all the way you know to the end yeah uh yeah i can't imagine what that was like and uh and then they had this Tremendous outpouring of, of artists, uh, the benefit in New York City. Uh, yeah, that was at the Beacon Theater with Robert Plant and Ian Hunter. Right. And that was fun. Garland Jeffries. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was a huge, huge uh, boon. It, it helped uh, with the medical expenses and a lot of that and allowed things to happen that might not have happened otherwise. But uh, it was really, really cool of Robert to do that. And I've got, uh, I'll, I'll play it uh in a little bit uh recording of uh a house is not a motel that robert did yeah you know which uh i think is 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 a pretty good tribute have there been any uh, i i haven't seen any you know they have these tribute albums uh yeah there have been a couple of that's maybe three or four that um you don't hear that much about but there are several that were um total tribute albums and um where artists covered... Uh, right, yeah, yeah, the same way they've done some of... Uh, uh, I think there was uh, the Eagles, there were country musicians that came in and did right. all of their songs. Yeah, there were um, several different groups. I'm not sure how successful they were, but I, I have heard them. So what, what's uh, what's ahead for Johnny Eccles? Well, um, we're still playing uh, people from Baby Lemonade right. uh, that were playing with Arthur... Uh, the last, uh, well, they played with him from 94 all the way until the time, uh, just a year or so before he died. So, um, Mike Randall. And, and Mike Randall and mm-hmm. Rusty Squeeze, Bob, right. Dave, Jan- Dave Chappell, and Daddy O'Green. We play together all the time, and we'll be um, touring sometime probably in the fall. And I'm still working on finishing the, the Gethsemane songs, the ones that were started way back in the day. It's just. You know, it's, so that's uh, not an urban myth. No, that. that's not an urban myth. The songs actually exist, and they are people have heard them, and uh, uh, 
uh, confident that when it is finally released that it will surprise people. They are very good songs, and um, it kind of will take you to a different place. Okay. Uh, let's listen to a couple of more. This is uh, this probably uh, highlights Brian McLean's writing on uh, Forever Changes, and uh, I guess a co-writing credit on And More Again, because mm-hmm. And More was a title of a song uh, on the first album right yeah and then this was and more again mm-hmm. and uh did did brian co-write the song no actually well see the things were they would be a collaboration you know on many of the songs that weren't necessarily memorialized as you know collaborations they right. were just people getting together and you know, no you should do this here and what about this and that so everyone kind of added their bit to the songs and he did to that one. Okay, let's listen to uh, some of uh, Brian McLean.
And if you see and more again, then you will know and more again. For you can see you in her eyes. Then you feel your heart beating from pum pum pum. And when you've given all you had, and everything still turns out bad and all. From bum bum bum, and I'm wrapped in my armor, but my things are material. And I'm lost in confusions, 'cause my things are material. And you don't know how much I love you. Oh, oh, Then you might be and more again, or you just wish and you are here. Then you feel your heart beating, bum 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 bum. And I'm wrapped in my armor, but my things are material. And I'm lost in confusions, 'cause my things are material. And you don't know how much I love you.
Saddleback College, it's a whole other thing with Bob Goodman on listener-supported FM, 88.5 KSBR. This is KSBR, Mission Viejo, California, as a legal station ID. And uh, sitting here with Johnny Eccles, co-founder, lead guitarist, lifelong friend of uh, Arthur Lee. We're uh, revisiting the music of love on the uh, 7th anniversary of the passing of Arthur Lee on August 3rd, 2006, and uh, revisiting the music and dispelling myths and doing all kinds of stuff here, aren't Johnny? <laughs> Having fun. And uh, I just want to do a quick shout-out to a friend of mine, Langelo, the great bassman, local musician, uh, having his uh, 60th birthday party as we speak. And uh, Langelo, I will be there <laughs> soon. And... Uh, Many, many more. This is a whole other thing. We do this every Saturday afternoon, you and I. We hang out, listen to a lot of great tunes. And as I mentioned, revisiting the music of love. And uh, just, you know, indelibly stamped in my mind. I, I told you this before. There's not a week that goes by that I don't revisit Forever Changes. It's, uh, uh, it's, my, uh, it's my spiritual side. It's uh, it's become that that really that important to me, and everyone that hasn't sat down and listened to it, I mean, really listened to it, not while doing six other things as we do today. All of us uh, pride ourselves on multitasking, but uh, it it deserves your attention. It's uh, it's a work of art. I I truly believe that from the album cover to the uh, to the compositions that are contained within and uh we're gonna say goodbye to johnny i hate to do that but uh he's got to get back on up to la it's uh 
it's Saturday night and I don't relish, you know, making the drive. But I, and I'm so, so uh, thankful that you uh, came down here and, and spent the time. I know you don't uh, typically uh, visit radio stations and, and talk about uh, the music and, and your career. So this has been truly an honor because uh, uh, I really uh, respect the music and, and the musicianship and everything about love and thought that today would be an appropriate way to uh, do that. So thank you so much for spending your time with me. Oh, it's been my pleasure, and, and I'm so grateful for you giving us and me the opportunity to honor my brother on uh, the seventh anniversary of his passing. And uh, I hope we've uh, kind of shed a little light on the workings of the group and dispelled a few uh, myths. And make me a promise that when you guys start touring again, you'll uh, stop by and oh. and uh, and perhaps uh, you know we we'll talk some more love story part two. Cool, yeah. And, and uh, yeah. I'm gonna close things out with uh, I th- something I think is very appropriate. You might recognize it. Cool, one <laughs> this, of my favorite jams. This is a whole other thing with Bob Goodman, and uh, once again, thanks to Johnny Eccles for stopping by. Where are you walking? I've seen you walking. Have you been there before? Walk down your doorsteps. You'll take some more steps. What did you take them for? There's a private in my boat and he wears this instead of medals on his coat. There's a chicken in my nest and she won't play until I've given her my best. At her request she asks for nothing, you get nothing in return. If you want she brings you water, if you don't then you will Changes, it may seem strange, is this what you're put here for? You think you're happy and you are happy, that's what you're happy for. There's a man who can't decide if he should fight for what his father thinks is right. There are people wearing frowns who screw you up, but they would rather screw you down. My request I ask for nothing, you get nothing in return. If you're nice, you bring me water. If you're not, then I will
time that I've been given such a little while And the things that I must do consist of more than styles There are places that I am going This is the only thing that I am sure of And that's all that lives is gonna die And there'll always be some people here to wonder why And for every happy hello there will be goodbye There'll be time for you to put yourself on Then you should be the first to want to make this change And for everyone who thinks that life is just a game Do you like the part you're playing? I'll see your picture It's in the same old frame We meet again You look so lovely You with the From Saddleback College, it's a whole other thing with Bob Goodman on listener-supported FM 88.5 KSBR. You set the scene, 
and uh, Forever Changes. It's the closing tune. If you uh, listen to side two, that's the uh, last track on the LP, at least, and uh, last track on the CD. Uh, on the A-track, you had that annoying click in between, but uh, we won't talk about that. It's about 20 minutes after the hour, and uh, we're going to be right back right after this with some more music. This is Garrison West with today's KSBR Entertainment Calendar. Tonight at the Vintage Steakhouse in San Juan Capistrano, John Salone takes the stage at 8. At the Balboa Bay Club in Newport Beach, it's the Mark LeBrun Quartet at 8. The Bayside Restaurant in Newport Beach features the Mike McKenna duo at 7. At Bistango and Irvine, Larry Fresh's trio will entertain you at 8. At Cedar Creek in Brea, it's Debbie Ebert and Richard Hera at 7. The Savannah Chop House in Laguna Niguel presents La Grande Bar at 6.30. Ralph Brennan's Jazz Kitchen in downtown Disneyland features Kenny Sarah and the Sounds of New Orleans at 7. At Stella's Serious Italian Restaurant in Monarch Bay, it's saxophonist Gary King at 6. Tonight at the McKinney Theater on the Saddleback College campus, there's a special kids show, Give My Regards to Broadway. Showtimes today are 2.30 and 7.30, and all tickets are $8. Saddleback College's McKinney Theater box office is open from noon until 4, and then one hour before showtime. For more information and a list of local venues, check out the entertainment section of ksbr.org. I'm Garrison West for FM 88.5 KSBR. And if you're just tuning in or if you missed any part of our conversation with Johnny Eccles, don't fret. You can catch up tomorrow morning. Usually I upload to my archive site uh, approximately 10 a.m. Pacific time. And the best way to get there is go to the ksbr.org website. And you'll see program schedule. Click on that. At 3 p.m. on Saturday, you'll see a whole other thing. It's my website where I have a page called MyPod. And every uh, every Sunday, I upload the previous day's show in its entirety, uh, all three hours of it. So you can uh, listen at your leisure and download to any uh, PC, Mac, or any mobile device. Our special guest today was Johnny Eccles of the legendary band Love, lead guitarist, co-founder, and lifelong friend of Arthur Lee. And uh, just want to get back into that vibe of music from that era.
dreams are broken Answer your unspoken prayer When the little things you're doing Don't turn out right Don't you worry, darling I'll be there I'll miss you My dreams I'll kiss you Then wish you luck On your new affair So baby If you need me All you have to do is call me And don't you worry darling I'll be there There But there is someone who cares So if your new love isn't the true love Don't you worry, darling, I'll be there Saddleback College, it's a whole nother thing with Bob Goodman. Jerry and the Pacemakers, and I'll Be There, a song that was also covered by Bobby Darren, among others. Just really, I call one of the uh, unsung heroes because it's one of the tunes by Jerry that uh, you just don't hear anymore. Uh, We start things off with the Moody Blues. It was their follow-up to Go Now. You may not have uh, remembered it, but when they were in their R&B mode and a song called Stop. Try Too Hard, courtesy of the Dave Clark Five, So Lonely, The Hollies. And uh, someday we're going to love again The Searchers. They're uh, one of their follow-ups to Needles and Pinza. It's about 22 before the hour and uh, just a great afternoon. I want to thank once again Johnny Eccles for uh, sharing uh, Saturday with me here, coming down from L.A., and uh, spending time talking to us about uh, love and Arthur Lee on the uh, anniversary of Arthur Lee's passing on August 3rd, 2006, seven years ago today, Arthur Lee left us and uh, left us a great legacy of music along with his mates from love, 
uh, notably Johnny Eccles, one of the co-founders, the, the co-founder with uh, Arthur and his lifelong friend. And uh, thanks again, Johnny. Uh, and uh, have a nice ride up the pavement to L.A. And uh, let's continue with music on a whole nother thing. My name is Bob Goodman, and uh, we do this every Saturday afternoon, you and I. We hang out, listen to a lot of great tunes, and uh, hope you enjoy today's uh, conversation of, uh, with uh, Johnny Eccles. Speaking of guitar players, here's one of the new great guitar players. His name is... Trevor Hall. I'm not going to subject you to the uh, noise of uh, that particular cut. I don't know what... been having quite a few CDs lately that uh, seem to exhibit this noise. So we're going to get on out of it. It's a whole other thing with Bob Goodman on listener-supported FM 88.5 KSBR.
Change your heart Look around you Change your heart It will astound you I need your loving Like the sunshine And everybody's gonna learn sometime Everybody's gonna learn sometime Change your heart Look around you Change your heart It will astound you I need your love
Saddleback College, it's a whole nother thing with Bob Goodman. The Who, of course, from uh, The Who Sell Out, released in 1967. Armenia in the sky. And right before that, we took a trip on Blue Jay Way with the Beatles from the Magical Mystery Tour. Beck, not Jeff Beck, but just plain Beck. From uh, the motion picture, everybody's got to learn some time. A cover version of the Corgis tune and uh, that was from the motion the, the song is everybody's got to learn sometime and the uh, motion picture was the eternal sunshine of the spotless mind you may remember that uh, I don't have fond memories of that movie it was very painful to sit through it I don't know I just didn't get it you know sometimes that happens you just don't get it with Jim Carrey and we start things off with Deodato and Pavane for a dead princess. Oh boy, what a day. What a great afternoon. Well, they're playing my song. It's time for me to uh, have my boot heels a wander. Hope you enjoyed uh, today's conversation with uh, a legend, Johnny Eccles lead guitarist and co-founder of the legendary band Love and all the great music. Once again, thank you for letting me play some records for you. I sure had some fun today. And uh, thanks again to Johnny Eccles if you're uh, listening on the way up to uh, Los Angeles. Thanks again for... uh, taking the time and spending it with us. This is Bob Goodman. Hey, next Saturday, it's our annual tribute to Woodstock. So uh, mark your calendars for that. We'll 
journey back to the garden, as they say, back to Yasger's farm. A week early, actually, because the following week I will be up in Monterey and uh, not with you, and I always like to do the uh, Woodstock thing myself. So stick around next Saturday, same time, same channel. And uh, if you missed any part of today's show, it'll be available tomorrow on my archive site. This is Bob Goodman saying thanks again and be kind to your fellow human beings. I'll see ya. From Saddleback College, FM 88.5, KSBR Mission Viejo, 89.1, K206AA Laguna Beach, and 89.5, K208AM Newport Beach. We are KSBR Mission Viejo. Saddleback College offers emeritus classes and college for kids. Learn more at saddleback.edu.